And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Brother Gordon. It is good to see you here this morning in the house of the Lord. I hope and pray that you had a good week. And if you are a first-time guest, we are honored by your attendance. Uh, If you would like to uh, know a little bit more about our church, there's a blue card inside your bulletin. If you'd fill that out and put that in the offering plate later, we'd love to have that. Also, if there's any prayer requests or any issues or things you need to deal with or like for our staff to pray for, please fill that out as well. So we've had an incredible summer here at First Baptist Pineville. Uh, A lot of things have happened, a lot of uh, children activities, a lot of youth activities. And in a few moments after I pray, we're going to be watching a highlight video of the things that our students and our children did this summer here at First Baptist Church Pineville. We're blessed with some of the best students and the best children in all of Pineville. Amen. And so uh, let's uh, have a word of prayer and then we'll watch our video. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this day and for your many blessings. Lord, we do exalt you. We do lift your name upon high. Lord, we thank you for all the blessings you give us and how you blessed us beyond measure. Lord, we thank you for sending your one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. I pray this morning, Lord, that you be with our pastor as he delivers the message you put upon his heart. And I pray, Jesus, that you would continue to bless our church, Lord, during this time of transition. Lead, guide, and direct us, Jesus. We love you, and we trust you, and we seek your face. Lord, we love you, King Jesus, and we ask these things in your name. Amen.
It was a great summer here at First Baptist, and you can give a hand to all the people. A lot of you volunteered to help make all those events happen, and uh, when you show the summer recap video, you know what that means. Summer's over. School's starting, right? And so we wanted to take a moment to pray for all of our children and high school students and college students and teachers and faculty and staff as you prepare to go back to school. And that's whether you're faculty and staff from anywhere from pre-K all the way up to college or past that. So if you are a child or a student, that's pre-K all the way up to college, would you please stand if you are going to be going to school? We want to see you, all right? And then, yeah, you can give them a hand because they're going to need some encouragement as they go through this year. All right. And then those of you who are faculty and staff of any age level, would you please stand? Join these kids that are already standing. And we want to have a word of prayer for all of you. Give these folks a hand because these, yeah. Faculty and staff and administration and everybody who uh, pours in as educators, uh, that's a calling. And uh, they make a difference in, in students' lives uh, that are life-changing. And so uh, we want to be sure to lift them up. So what I want us to do is we pray for all of these children and adults who will be um, going into the school system over the next few days and weeks and months. I want us to pray for them. And so if there's somebody that's close to you, I just want you to kind of turn and look at them and look towards them as, as I lead us in prayer in just a moment. And then as we do that as well, remember our partners in education next door, Palm Elementary School. Uh, we're partners with them. They've got a brand new principal this year, Dr. Aaron Stokes. Uh, I got to meet her on Thursday when we had the prayer walk over there. Um, and she's going to be not only an educational leader of that school, but a spiritual leader of that school. So be in prayer for Dr. Stokes as she leads over there. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And if you just kind of focus in on somebody here this morning that you want to lift up as I pray as well. Lord, we come before you this morning thankful for the fact that we live in a nation first where we can um, learn and we can explore all the things that you have in your world and we can sharpen ourselves, not for a career and a direction that someone else chooses for us, but for something that you lay upon our hearts to do. And so Lord, I pray first for these students um, this year who will be going to some of them to school for the first time, some of them to new grades and some of them to new schools. And that's always a little bit of uh, apprehension when we do that. But Lord, I pray that this next year would be a time of blessing and a time of strengthening and sharpening all of these students for exactly what you have for them in the future. God, we pray for these teachers and administrators and other educators in the room. And Lord, whether they're teaching in homeschool or, or in a more traditional school or in college or pre-K, God, we pray that you would be with each one of them. Lord, use the gifts and abilities that you've bestowed upon them to bring about life transformation in their students' lives this year. God, it may be that they have a student that's very difficult to deal with. And I pray, God, that you give them wisdom exactly how to deal with that. Lord, they may have to deal with some kind of, of uh, student having a really difficult life circumstance. And our administrators may have to deal with a, a, a faculty member that's dealing with a tremendous life circumstance. And Lord, we don't know what the next few months hold. And so, Lord, in those times of crisis even, I pray, God, for wisdom and blessing. And that, Lord, throughout the year, you would give all of us as teachers and students and as uh, faculty, Lord, the ability to share our faith in the schools. Lord, all kids in this whole region are in school. It is a field widened to harvest for evangelism. And so, Lord, I pray for our students who can share most easily one-on-one -on -one with one another. But, Lord, I pray for our faculties and our administrators that as those questions come up, that they can answer those and that you would give them open doors for sharing the gospel this year. And we pray, Lord, for life transformation and a movement of your spirit to go across Rapids Parish and Avoyles Parish, Grant Parish, and the surrounding areas as we reach out and as we shine as lights for you, seeking to be first every day, being focused on you, involved in ministry, respected by our peers, strengthened in the faith, and transformed by Christ. Use us this year to bring about life transformation. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Let's stand together if you would. 
the choir, the song the choir sang just a moment ago, inside that song, it sang an old hymn that says, All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let's all sing that together now. All hail the power of Jesus' name. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate old hymn Tommy Walker took it a few years ago and kind of add a little different punch to it but I still love these words the love of Jesus is deep 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 let's sing it
We pray. Our Father, what a gracious Lord you are. One that gives us grace, Lord, and we all we have to do is take it. A great gift, Lord, that you give us. So, Father, at this time when we come to give gifts back to you, all that we have belongs to you. And all you ask for is a part. Just ask that you would bless this part that we give you. Use it for all that needs to be done in your kingdom. These things we ask in thy name. Amen. to save me and my 
sword finds rest for he has come to deliver me my soul finds rest for he has come to save me my soul finds rest for he has come to deliver me yeah. I love the Lord he heard my voice he heard my desperate cry and he turned his ear when sorrows overwhelmed me oh he heard my cry yeah and for he is good for he is good yes he is good oh thank you jesus oh for he is good for he is good yes he How many of you can say, I love the Lord, for He is good? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gordon. It's a privilege to have Gordon Butler as our guest worship leader today. And uh, thank you, Gordon, for leading us to the throne of God today in worship. Uh, life. Life. It's what we do. Life was an iconic magazine that captured American culture. Anybody used to subscribe to that? Life, the cereal that you may have enjoyed this morning. It's one of several television shows you may have watched, one of several movies you may have seen, but mostly it's what we're doing right now. Just doing life together. Breathing in, breathing out. That's life. There are many stages of life. I found this graphic this week. We're born, we start growing up, we go to school, we go to high school, we go to college, we graduate, we go to work, we make money, we get old, we get older, we get older, we get in a wheelchair, we're bedridden, and then we die. That is a very depressing graphic. Some of us... We'll, some of us will experience all of those stages, I hate to say it. Um, hopefully all of us won't experience all of those, but whatever the case, all of us are somewhere on that right there today. And some of us are helping family members or friends in one of those stages, whether it's a child or a parent or a grandparent. And that's life. You're born, you grow up, you go to school, you graduate, you go to work, you get old, you get sick, you die, people visit your grave. That's life. Or is it? Or better, is that all there is to life? The answer is no. Would you say that with me? No. Today we begin a new series on the Gospel of John, and I have no idea how long this new sermon series is going to be. Frankly, we'll probably have to take breaks from it here and there because this Gospel is long and it's chocked full of so much that we want to glean from it. Sometimes a message is going to cover an entire chapter, sometimes it'll cover a verse or two, uh, but one thing is for sure, we're going to see that John is interested in life, real life. Not just birth to death, but also eternal life. So we might say that John is interested in life from birth to infinity and beyond. He's interested in all of it. And today we're going to get a taste of that life. My goal in this series is that 
If you don't know Jesus, you will get to know Jesus and be saved. And if you do know Jesus, that you'll fall in love with him all over again. I also hope that you'll fall in love with this gospel and it'll bless your life as it has blessed mine. Other than a message here or there through the years, I've never preached all the way through John. I've wanted to for a long time. In fact, for 20 years. Because 20 years ago, in the spring of 1997, which sounds like ancient history now, I took a class on the book of John during my junior year at Louisiana College. It was taught by an adjunct professor, Dr. Roger Sullivan. Dr. Sullivan at the time was a pastor at East Leesville Baptist Church in Leesville and would drive up to teach this class at LC. Thomas and I took that class together and it was one of my favorite classes of college, if not my favorite. I fell in love with the Gospel of John in 1997 and I hope that you'll fall in love with it 20 years later. So we're going to dive in this morning, but instead of starting at the very beginning, which Julie Andrews says is a very good place to start, we're going to start at the very end in John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. In fact, some scholars even think that this is where John originally ended his gospel, and then he later added chapter 21. But we're going to go to chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. So hold your finger there, and we'll read that in just a moment. First, I want to start with this question. What is a gospel? Well, gospel, our word gospel is a translation of or comes from the Greek word euangelion. And that word originally meant money or a tip that was given to a messenger. So when someone brought you a message, you gave them a tip, a euangelion. I guess you could say it was like the postage on a stamp or you could say it's like when the pizza guy brings the pizza to your house, you give them a tip, that's your euangelion. Well, after it became known as a tip, as words kind of evolve, it then evolved not just to the tip, but to the messenger. So, instead of it being a tip for the messenger, it became the messenger himself. And so, Euangelion became the pizza guy himself. Then as time went on a little bit more, the word came to mean the good news that was brought by the messenger. And so, the pizza itself became the euangelion. And that's where the word stopped, not with pizza, but with good news, that the gospel is good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of our gospels, all wrote books of good news that we call gospel. And each gospel, each writer of a gospel wrote to a group of people for a specific purpose. And our text for today is John's purpose. And so let's read it together. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. As we look at John's purpose, notice first in verse 30 that he says he picked what to put in and what to leave out. He couldn't write down everything Jesus did. There were many other miraculous signs that Jesus did. But John shows some specific things that Jesus did that fit his purpose. All of the Gospels read like biographies, but they are not biographies of Jesus. In fact, they're not biographies at all. A biography speaks to tell us about a person. We come away from that biography with an opinion about that person, maybe knowing many things they did, some interesting facts about their life, some of their greatest accomplishments, but we are not changed personally by that biography or led to make a decision of faith in the subject of the biography. Your opinion about them may change. Uh, you may have a greater respect for the subject of the biography, but your life is not going to be turned upside down. Uh, for example, you don't hear someone say, I read a biography of Abraham Lincoln last week and it totally changed my life. 
In fact, from now on, I'm going to read all of the sayings of Abraham Lincoln and everything that's ever been written about him. And I'm going to be able to quote as much that he said as possible. And I'm going to give my life to Abraham Lincoln. And I'm going to gather with other believers in Abraham Lincoln and worship him every week. And we're going to serve the legacy and the kingdom of Abraham Lincoln. If someone said that to you, you would be calling up Central State Hospital to have them committed as insane. You don't have that kind of reaction to a biography. But unlike a biography, a gospel is meant to bring you to that decision point. In fact, a life-changing decision point. The gospels are written to convict and convince their readers to give their life over to Jesus, to be completely committed to him. So we read the gospels, not as historians who are seeking information, but as men and women who are seeking God. We want to get to know him. So John helps us meet God and reach a decision point. And John states that decision point in the first part of verse 31. He says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. There's two beliefs that John wants us to come away from this gospel with. And the first is that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. The human authors of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all wrote for a clear purpose to convince their readers that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. The gospel writers hoped that you would make a decision to give your life to Jesus and have your life radically changed by Jesus. To accomplish their purpose, each writer in his day wrote to a specific group of people with a specific purpose. So watch this. I love this. We start with the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called synoptic because they see with one eye. If you've ever read all the gospels, you realize that they're, they read very similar, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In fact, sometimes they even uh, have some of the same stories and they're almost verbatim because they used some common sources. But these first three gospels were written to different people. Matthew wrote to the Jews, Mark wrote to the Romans, and Luke wrote to the Greeks. The three main groups of people that lived in the biblical world of the time, the Jews, the Romans, and the Greeks. Now watch this. There are three main reasons people reject the gospel in the first century and in the 21st century. And that is religion, money, and pride. Well, in the first century, the Jews were the religious people of the day. If there was anything that was going to prevent somebody, a Jew, from trusting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it was going to be their Jewish religion. They were going to get hung up on religion. The Romans were the monetary, commercial people of the day. The Roman roads, the Pax Romana, all of those things that allowed the world to connect at the time of the first century. They were the commercial people of the day. So if something was going to get in their way, it would be their money and what their money could buy. Think about the rich young ruler who couldn't give over everything to the Lord. And then... Another thing that keeps people from pursuing God is pride. I know better. I don't need that. Or I don't buy what you're selling. And the Greeks were the prideful people because they were the ones that were all into wisdom. They were the knowledgeable people. They knew better. And so Matthew writes to these Jews, Mark to these Romans, Luke to these Greeks. Now, that's all cool, but this is going to give you goosebumps. When Jesus was crucified, there was a placard that was placed above his head that identified what his offense was, and it said, the king of the Jews. The Gospel of John tells us that that was written in three languages, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, for the Jews, the Romans, and the Greeks. Ooh, right? But wait, there's more. <laughs> In the Gospels, all of them together, we find out that for the religious man, Jesus is our righteousness. You don't have to seek righteousness through religion. Jesus himself declares you righteous. Also, we know that we owe a sin debt that we could never pay on our own. And Jesus is our ransom who paid that debt. 
And also, we want true wisdom. Well, Jesus is the source of wisdom. And so that's amazing. But you got John over here. He's kind of his own guy. He seems to direct his writings to the Jews, and, and that's pretty clear because he declares that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of God. He's big about Jesus being the Messiah. He's big about Jesus fulfilling all of the Old Testament laws and, and rituals and festivals. But John also reminds us that Jesus came for the entire world. When you think of the Gospel of John, what's the first verse that comes to your mind? John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life and then verse 17 goes on to say God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved so I hope you see that the gospels are targeted and they're intentional what's your hang up for not accepting Christ well Jesus is for you what is it you need Jesus is for you who are you? Are you a Jew? Are you a Roman? Are you a Greek? Are you anybody else in the world? Jesus is for you. What do you need? Jesus has it. Are you seeking uh, a way to live out your faith? Here it is. Do you need somebody to pay the debt that you could never pay in sin? Here he is. Do you need somebody to give you that wisdom to help you feel like you really uh, are connected to the Lord? Jesus is that. Or John would be the one that says... What you really need is life. And Jesus came to bring that. For John, real life begins with believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And as we journey through his gospel in the coming months, John's going to move us to that belief in two ways. He's going to start us out with what we would call the gospel of signs. It's the first 11 chapters of the gospel. And that's where we get all the miracles that Jesus did. The word for signs is significant. The Greek word actually means miracles with a message or miracles with meaning. So the miracle stories in, that John will include are not just to make us go, wow, Jesus is awesome. Wow, Jesus can do incredible things. It's not to amaze us. It's not to make us wonder. It's, a, it's, a, it's meant to teach us a message. Every miracle had the purpose of teaching something about Jesus so that we could believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. G. Campbell Morgan, an old uh, expositor, said that every parable Jesus spoke was a miracle of instruction and every miracle Jesus performed was a parable for instruction. So Jesus didn't just do willy-nilly miracles. He did them for a purpose to teach and to move people. And John then included the ones that fit his purpose. John included just enough signs and miracles for us to see God at work, but not so many signs that we get hung up on the signs themselves. So as Adrian Rogers says in his book by the same title, we need to believe in Jesus. We need to believe miracles, but trust in Jesus. Believe in miracles, but trust in Jesus. So after John takes us through the gospel of signs, then he's going to take us through the passion narratives. And John spends 10 of his 21 chapters on the passion of Jesus Christ, beginning with Jesus being anointed at Bethany and concluding with his reinstating Peter following the resurrection. Jesus moves toward his death, burial, and resurrection with purpose, passion, and power. Uh, this week, I, I messaged Dr. Sullivan on Facebook and I said, hey, I'm, I'm reviewing your old class notes from 20 years ago. They're kind of yellow now. And I'm reviewing all these things and, and remembering this class and just wanted you to know uh, what an impact that class had on me. And he wrote back, at just like the beginning of his class, this is what he wrote. The Jesus of John's gospel truly is magnificent. He traverses the Judean hills like a superman and strides to the cross like a king to his coronation. There's no agony in Gethsemane, nor any cry of dereliction on the cross. Through John, we see the absolutely divine incarnate son who could not love and worship him. That's what we're going to see. John presents a resurrected Christ from the very beginning. Next week, we're going to jump into the prologue. It's going to take us four or five weeks just to get through that thing. Because the word was with God and the word became flesh Ooh, that's a resurrected Christ from the beginning. Once you read through the gospel of John and you get to the crucifixion, you know he can't stay dead. 
You're just waiting for him. You're like, well, this ain't going to end. This ain't, this ain't, this ain't, no way the story ends here. Because by the time you get to the crucifixion, you've already learned that Jesus is the word. You've learned that he's the son of God, the son of man, a teacher come from God, a prophet, the great I am, the light of the world, the door, the gate, the Messiah, the king of Israel, the holy one of God, the lamb of God, the coming one, the man, the Lord. And you're just like, get down off that cross. Something's going to happen. And then we come to that point where doubting Thomas doesn't believe that Jesus is alive, right? And then when he sees Jesus, he says, my Lord and my God. And that is where John wants to take us. That's where he wants you and me to be. If you're a doubter, if you're a skeptic, if you're wondering if Jesus really is the son of God, he wants you to reach the end of his gospel and go, my Lord and my God. Now, if you're already a believer, you may think, well, this series isn't going to have anything for me. I already believe Jesus is my Lord. But actually, I'd like to disagree because not only can John's gospel convince the unbeliever to believe, but it can convince the believer to keep on believing. Just as it can ignite a new fire in someone who has yet to believe, it can ignite a revival fire in someone who's believed for a long time. So get ready. As you start to fall in love with Jesus again, long-time believer, you might get on fire for Jesus again. And you might experience revival. But if you've never trusted Jesus, I hope that you will come to know him as the Lord and Savior. You know, scholars debate whether John was writing to convince new believers or to uh, ignite faith in uh, longtime believers. And the New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce said, you know what, we really don't need to worry about that because he does both. And that's what we need to focus on. So my prayer, like John's, is that if you do not believe, you will. And if you do believe, you'll believe all the more. And that word believe is interesting too. Um, our English word really isn't strong enough because we believe a lot of stuff that really doesn't change our life. I mean, I believe I'm going to have lunch today. I believe that two plus two equals four, but whoop-de-doo, really. But this kind of believe is a strong word. The Greek word is pistuo, and it's a very strong word. The closest we can get is to say to faith. It's like use faith as that word. The Amplified Bible tries to bring out the essence by saying this, these have been written so that you may believe with a deep abiding trust that Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing and trusting in and relying on him, you may have life in his name. So it tries to dig deeper. To, to pistuo is not merely to agree in belief or to assent to some facts. It is to commit totally. For example, I assent to the fact that I can go up in an airplane, strap on a parachute, and jump out, and that parachute will help me to slowly descend to the earth. I believe that. But I do not pistuo that. <laughs> because I'm not going to go up in a plane, strap on a parachute, and jump out. That is not on my bucket list, because that would probably be the end of my bucket list. <laughs> but that's the difference in Belief and pistuo. Belief is, uh, yeah, I agree, that can happen. Pistuo is, I'm all in. And that's where John wants us to get. Not just to check off some beliefs, yeah, I agree, but I believe and I'm following. Pistuo is jumping all in. It means a uniting of life in total commitment. And so that's, that pistuo that we have, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is belief number one. And then belief number two is this, briefly. He says, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. This gospel is going to repeatedly ask and answer three questions. And they're not distinctly stated anywhere. But we'll see them coming up as Jesus encounters these people. The first question is, Jesus, who are you? And Jesus is going to show them that I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. Second, Jesus, what do you offer? Jesus is going to show them, I offer life. And then Jesus, how do I get it? You believe in me. 
Notice in the three questions that you find John's two purposes. Number one is found in Jesus, who are you? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, son of the living God. Then the next belief is found in questions two and three. What do you offer? Life. How do I get it? In my name. John's ultimate objective is not merely that you will believe that John, that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. John's ultimate objective is that this belief will change your life and give you real life. But what is that real life? For John, it, in, it involves two different things. First, there is eternal life. The idea of eternal life is captured in John 3.16. You know that. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. But then, John's also concerned about what's going on between now and death. And that's, he says, we can have abundant life in Christ. John 10.10 says, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. So notice we find that for John, real life exists here and there. It exists in the temporal and in the eternal. The abundant temporal life here transfers to the abundant eternal life there. Too often we evangelicals get all focused on just the eternal, right? We believe in a literal hell and we don't want you to go there. And so we tell you about how you can accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and have your eternal security secured. And that's important. We need that. Because hell is real and we don't want to go there. But Jesus has stuff to do with life now. He wants to give us an abundant life now. A purposeful life now. As radically as your faith in Jesus Christ yanks you out of the pits of hell and puts you at the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven, your faith in Jesus Christ yanks you out of a purposeless life here on earth and puts you in the place of fulfilling the purpose God has for you here and now. He brings about radical, everlasting life. Well, Jesus came to give you the best life possible, real life. Not does, just does your heart have a pulse life. But does your heart and your life pulse with God kind of life? So let me ask you today. Do you have that kind of real life? And if you don't, do you want it? And if you do, then here's how you get it. If we could have every head bowed. And I want you to think about your life this morning. First, those of us who claim to be believers, does my heart and my life pulse with the love and the life that God gives? And if not, then I'd ask for you today to seek the Lord and to come to him in repentance and say, Lord, what is it that's in my way that's keeping my life from pulsing with you? God, get it out of my way. I repent of that. I turn from it. I focus on you. Maybe it's that God's just wanting you to turn in commitment to him in some particular way. So God, I commit to that. Maybe it's spending time with him on a regular basis. Maybe it's uh, standing up for him. Lord, I give that to you. And then for those of us in this room who've never trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, may God today convince you of your need for Jesus Christ. There's never been a point where you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You've never uh, confessed your sins. You've never had a point where you've said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I receive you into my life as my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you. If you've never done that, then I'd encourage you that today would be the day of salvation. And you can do that very simply by simply praying a prayer that simply says something like I just said. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I confess those sins to you. I want to follow you with my life. I give my life over to you now as my Lord and Savior. From this day forward, I'm going to walk with you. If you pray a prayer like that, the Bible says that God comes in and saves you. He brings about that radical transformation to you. And so I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you. After I pray in just a moment, we're going to sing a song that says, you are my king. And so for believers, may that be a song of worship and commitment. For non-believers, may it be a testimony of faith where you come forward and you say, you are my king from this day forward. Lord, we come before you this morning and we seek your face.
We pray, Lord, that in these moments you'll move in our hearts, that you'll help us to be obedient to the call that you place on our lives. Holy Spirit, move freely in this place. And may you be our king today. Move us to obedience, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's all stand and sing and follow the Lord's leading in our lives.